Welcome to TC Tiawi Talks, Tia Chucha Centro Cultural, located on Tataviam land in the northeast San Fernando Valley, is rooted in ancestral knowledge, culture, the arts, literacy, and social justice as a means to personal and communal transformation. It is a place where hearts and minds have united for change for over 19 years. Join us as we share the stories of personal transformation and our understanding of the world that unites us as a community. We must remember that another world has always been possible. Tiawi, a Nahuatl word for adelante, to move forward. Like a spiral, together we move towards a better future, cognizant of the resiliency we carry from our past. Hi everybody, welcome to Tiawi Talks. Today's episode, we're gonna be talking to uh, Please, Jay Rodriguez, about Tia Chucha Press um, in celebration of Poetry Month. And yeah, welcome. My name's Karen, and I'm joined today by Brian and Rocket. Yeah. Yeah. Hello, my name is Brian, and you know, thank you, Luis, for joining us for this. Uh, and I just wanted to ask you a couple questions. One of the questions that I wanted to ask you was. Uh, you know, can you tell us uh, how TCP started? And, you know, why did you choose on focusing on publishing poetry? Uh, so I'm gonna share with you a book. Um, this is the first book I did with the Achucha Press. And it's my first book. I published it myself. I got a grant from the city of Chicago. It's about 19 poems. The artwork was done by a really late uh, Camalier Ramirez. He was a Puerto Rican um, artist and poems across the pavement. I, it also got me to be the next generation writer for the Penn International Conference in Toronto and Montreal. It was like it opened all these doors. I was a poet that nobody knew, nobody cared. I didn't have anything going for me. I was doing poetry in East LA. And then I moved to Chicago and I started doing the poetry there. I got involved with the poetry slams. I was just part of a community, but nobody knew me. This book kind of began to open up the idea that maybe there's a guy that might have some poetry. So the Achucha Press started just to do my book. And uh, this is 33 years ago. So my good friend, Jane Burnett, who I have to mention because she designed this beautiful book. She did a beautiful job. And she's designed all our books, by the way, because now after 33 years, I can't even begin to show you all. This is not even all our books. This is just small sampling. She designed all of them. So it was a uh, coming together of energies. Her energy, she's a part Native American um, nominee from Wisconsin and then minds uh, combined to create this beautiful press. And what happened is after this book came out, all these writers, all these poets, especially from the slam movement uh, came to me and they wanted me to publish their work. And I said, them, them, I don't know. Let me figure it out. I didn't had no idea what to do. I had no idea what how to make publish house. But little by little, we started doing it. We published a lot of great poets, some big names like Patricia Smith, like Elizabeth Alexander, like Virgil Suarez, like um, uh, Kiyoki Mori, um, you know Terrence Hayes. These are award winning major writers that we helped publish some of their first work, if not their first work, and now they're big. Um, I can name more. I mean, there's a lot of them. So I just want to say that 33 years ago, this little idea has become the Atucha Press, which is now 33 years in the making. Thank you. Thank you, Luis, for sharing. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, that, you know, I don't know if you ever imagined it becoming what it is today. Oh, you know, it's really funny. I never imagined it. I wish I had the vision for it. I, can, I wish I had the idea that, hey, I, I had an idea and I made it work. I hate to say that I couldn't even imagine Tia Chucha Centro Cultural, which is the cultural space and bookstore that grew out of Tia Chucha Press. I couldn't imagine anywhere, but I think inside, deep in us, the imagination for it is there. You know what I'm trying to say? It's already in there and maybe I couldn't figure it out in my conscious mind, but somewhere in the unconscious mind, I had, I had this, this dream and it was happening because as the dream unfolded, the publishing house and eventually we moved back to LA and then me and Trini and my brother-in-law, uh, Enrique Sanchez, we started the Achuchas. The dream was becoming filled 
and I know that it must have been something I had since a long, long time ago. And I tell you one thing that made me think that um, I had a homie come by the uh, Theatruchas years ago when we first started. Guy I hadn't seen in 20, maybe 30 years, I don't even know. Uh, and he was um, honestly trying to extort me. I mean, that is the truth. Um, he was tied in with the, the gang and wanted to. <laughs> but I, what I told him is, you know, I'm I'm doing stuff for children, for families. We're doing art. We're doing music. We're doing art. I just showed him everything, so he knew that I'm not in the world that he was in. But he did say something to me that I felt was partly why I think I had this dream without even truly realizing it. He says, "You know, it's really interesting." He goes, "You were always about this, even when I was in the neighborhood. I was always about these things. I didn't know that. I didn't even think about it." He said, "You were always into this stuff." So I must have had it in me even though it wasn't all conscious, it must have been in me so that it could finally get fulfilled as the dream that became the Achucha Centro Cultural and everything that we do there. Thank you for sharing, Luis. Um, hi, everyone. I'm Rocket, I'm Rocket Garcia, and I've done some work with Luis on the Achucha Press. And something that I have wondered um, as someone who has like worked with some of the folks who are interested in getting um, manuscripts published um, is what what does that process look like for you, Luis? So if someone was interested in getting their um, their poetry out there and published through TCP, um, what what does that process of looking for the next Theatricia Press look like for you? So what it's important for people to know is that we have a selection process. So I don't just pick books out of the blue and I don't just have my friends give me their books and I publish them. I, I have published some friends, but I have a lot of friends who are not good poets and I won't publish them. We publish good poetry, even if they're friends or not friends. Most of the people we publish, I don't even know before I publish them. But I, I will say there's a selection process. So it's almost like we have so many manuscripts come in and then, and usually in the spring, I start looking at books for the next year or two. I have to think about things that long. And then um, I select them out of the best of what I have, friends or otherwise. So what I do is I can push a lot of them out because right away you can tell they need more work and I won't do any big editing. If I do big editing, I'm not gonna publish the work. If they're really good friends, I'll tell them this is what you need to do, but I usually I don't. But what I do do is if I really love a book, I will read it two or three times. To make sure I still love it. You know what I mean? Because sometimes you look at a book, you read it, but if I start losing interest, I don't want to do it. I want a book like any any one of these books, and I would just mention Chi Wan Choi, Blood. I want to read it over and over again, discover something. And that's why I love the books that the Atreetra Press does. At least for me, it does that. I will read these books, Bless the Ashes from Peter Harris, over and over again and find beautiful things. I want to mention Unfinished Portrait, Nui Red Vestal. There's so many great books that we have. Oh, Jose Antonio Rodriguez, powerful, beautiful, the shallow end of sleep. Um, so once I read them again and I really love it, then I will go to them and say, we want to publish your book. And usually, because we only do two books a year, they have to be that quality. You know what I'm saying? People have told me, hey, publish my book. And I'm not just a publishing house. I'm not a, what's called a vanity press. Vanity press is when people pay me. We cover all the costs. We pay royalties. We don't expect people to pay uh, into Theatruchas. I mean, that's the way we've done. In the beginning, I will say that when we started, authors did put money in because I didn't have no money. <laughs> but I always made an arrangement where if we sold books, you would get your money back. I didn't want the money. You know what I'm saying? I didn't want to be rich. I, didn't, I just wanted the books to get out there. So um, a couple people paid me money to get their books done. But as soon as they made enough books sold, I paid them all back. And then they made royalties after that. In other words, this is the kind of press we are. So yeah, um, I guess that's basically it around that. Just to uh, the process of selection, send it in all year round. Just expect not to be um, read for maybe six months, maybe two a year, if people understand that. Uh, most publishers are kind of like that. And then if I do select a book, expect maybe uh, a year or so before they get published, which I find out most publishers do that as well. Thank you, Luis. Awesome. And we'll include the link if you're interested in submitting your poetry, your manuscript. Yeah, it gives um, you all the things you can do. Yeah. 
Um, that kind of leads us a little bit to something we were curious about, which is we know that, you know, times have changed with technology and um, we want to know how you think that's impacted like up and coming presses or that literary world. Well, it hasn't impacted the truth as much. I am analog. I'm old school. I do books that you can hold in your hand and read. Uh, people have asked me to digitize them. I don't want to do that. People can do it on their own. I'm not against it. All my books that I publish personally, my books with my own publishers, uh, they digitize most of all the work and we can get them in ebooks and everything. We don't do that. We just, we tell the authors, we're going to do a book that you can hold and read. But I find that all, with all this virtual stuff and all this digitized stuff, I find that people still love to read books, solid books. So I'm not against ebooks and I'm not against anything. I'm just saying we need to still keep doing books like this. And I want to keep doing that. That to me is important. I want people to feel proud. Uh, I don't know why I think that if it's digitized, it may be forgotten or maybe it's out there in the ether, the cloud, and you don't know what's going on. But I want people to hold them and hold and hold hang on to them and have them in their shelves and, and really love the, the book, the way they smell, the way they feel. I remember when I, my first book, any of my books got published. I was always a big deal when I see them in the box and I'm so ecstatic. It's a, it's quite a victory, I would say, in any person's life when they get a book published. So uh, I think that's what's important. Hold the book, um, read it, hang on to it. And and I think, believe it or not, when we got a bookstore, is people still hang on and love books. There you go, behind Rocket there. They still love books. And so I, I want to keep doing that. Thank you for sharing. And I know you mentioned about um, like how you were excited with like receiving your books uh, when you first saw them published and everything. Um, when you first published Poems Across the Pavement, were you like scared or like nervous about what people around you, friends or family members might think of like your poems, your book? You know, I will have to tell you something about me. I never cared what people thought. And I don't mean that I don't care. I don't mind critics. I don't mind. I just did things whether people cared or liked it or not. And you know what I'm saying? I I always, I don't know why I'm this way. I always try to do the things that I felt very strong about. And um, and if they fail, they failed. You know, I've done books that didn't sell. I've failed many times. I just never got scared. I, and I think this is a good point because I think a lot of people are. I meet a lot of writers who are scared to get published. I, I need meet writers, for example, that spend years going to workshops. And I have to tell them, why aren't you going to just do the book? <laughs> and they're still going to workshops. Fear is a big problem. And I don't want to downplay any of that because I get it. Uh, you've been told your whole life you're never going to amount to anything. You're no good. There's that voice that always tells you, you know, guy up there, you know, be quiet, don't say nothing. And people learn, especially women, you know, they learn to be kind of like bow into themselves. And they like to hide because they don't want nobody to see them. So it, it's an important thing to break out of. And having a book, I think it's one of the ways. I I, I don't know why I'm like this. Um, I do what I feel like I, I want to do. I do good things, so I don't worry about that. You know, when I was young, I did terrible things. So now I do is in a healthy, good way. But I, I mentioned that so that people, really, they shouldn't be scared. People need to be heard and seen. They have to do it everywhere they can, whether it's music, art, dance, writing, get out there. And even if it's kind of goofy, it's better goofy than nothing. Everybody starts off goofy. You know, you can't really start out like I'm a great writer now, uh, but you learn and you get better and people get to see your work. And that's what's important. Don't hide in the world. Get out there and make yourself known in a good, indispensable way. Um, I'm not talking about ego. I'm not talking about, yeah, I'm better than anybody. I'm just talking about just get out there and, and let the world know who you are. And I have to say this because it's partly why I named Tia Chucha Press after my aunt Tia Chucha. I learned that from my Tia Chucha. She was like that. She did not care what people thought. And I really did care, honestly, when I was young. Uh, I cared a lot. I finally learned to be more like her, like Man, just just do it. My my idea would write songs, do poetry, do proverbs, make her own colognes and perfumes. She, you know, she did all these things that weren't expected of a woman, and she did it independently, creatively. Some of the stuff she did probably was no good, in the sense that it wasn't all that quality. 
but it was always good in the sense that she did it. You know what I'm saying? That's when it's always good. It's like, at least she did it. She wasn't quiet. She wasn't hiding. My mother, I just tell a story of my mother, and I think my dad pressured her not to sing in the house. You know how it is. I had a very machista dad. Um, you know, he was cold detached. He didn't have any love uh, for the for the kids, but he, you know, he would go to work, come home, and then don't bother me. But my mom, um, she couldn't really do any of her art so much. One day, um, a couple of times, my tios would show up, and then she would drink some beer because we didn't. My dad wouldn't allow alcohol in the house, which is good. Um, still, meant I became alcoholic anyway, but in a way, at the time, there was no alcohol in the house. But when my tios came, my mom and my tios would sit and drink in the backyard, and my mom would sing. And she was singing so beautifully. And she would never do it when she wasn't with her, her brothers, and she would never do it when my dad arrived. I mean, you know what I'm saying? So I really appreciate my tia Chucha, who, uh, my aunt, who said, I'm going to do it. I don't care what anybody says. That's great. Thank you for sharing that. And I really knew that. And you know, in some sense, in a way, I could also relate to that. Um, just in the sense that my mom also said, like, uh, el toro por los cuernos. So take the bull by the horns and just, like, keep going. So definitely, uh, I, I agree with what you say, that, you know, you should just get your work out there. Um, everybody starts somewhere. So I, I appreciate that. You know, thank you for that wisdom. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Luis. Um, I, I wanted to also, I guess, if you could highlight why you think poetry is important and like uh, maybe a little bit more of like why you're choosing to publish poetry in particular. Well, you know, I think it's important because it's innate, I think, to everybody. Uh, school kind of takes it out of you. The way they teach poetry or writing, you almost don't want to be a writer, you know. Um, but I think that we're natural, all natural poets, just like I think we all have music in us, uh, just like I think we all have art in us. Now, maybe we're not all going to be artists or musicians or writers. That takes another level of gift, understanding and giving. But I do think that everybody has those in them. That's why we love music, even if we can't play. That's why I love art. I look at art. I'm, I'm not painting, but I can see it. And poetry is one of those things. So I find that poetry is probably, of all of them, the least monetized. In other words, people just do poetry, get up at an open mic or get up in a library or get, and they just read it. And it doesn't require a lot of big effort. You know, to me, it was always like a pen and a paper, a journal, and I'm writing poetry. Now, uh, I love musicians because they actually, especially the ones who study, they have to study music and notation and all the harmonies, they got to really study and then they got instruments, you know, it's all beautiful. But in the barrio, this is why Teatro just teaches music, but in the barrio, very few people have access to instruments, which is sad. They have access, they don't have access to some of the computers even, even today. So what writing is, is fairly simple. Get a journal, get a pen, pencil, pen, pen, and write. And it becomes a very uh, powerful, expressive art. I call it so talk because I think with poetry, unlike other kind of writing, you have to get deep. You have to get deep into your soul, reveal what's important to you, uh, really bring your heart you know, out there. It doesn't mean you don't use your mind. It doesn't mean you don't think about things. It's more like but making sure it's the most authentic um, language that you can find. And then the other side of it is you it is about language. And I don't mean like highfalutin language or language nobody can get. I know people write poetry, sometimes it's like, I can't understand what they're saying, but I'm talking about finding new ways of expressing language, new ways of putting things together, new metaphors, you know, all these things. To me, it's the power of language. And I think that's really what my gift was. I was not um, into language growing up because I couldn't speak English very well. And then the Spanish was punished. I went to school in Watts uh, when I was a kid and they uh, swatted me one time and one time a teacher slapped me across the face in front of the class. I was six years old uh, for speaking Spanish. Uh, this is the world that we were in. And and yet they didn't teach us English very well. You understand what I'm talking about? You really didn't learn English. So my struggle to get language was a was a revolution in myself to be able to say, I'm gonna get language. I don't care how you knocked it out of me, how you try not to teach me it. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be a language guy. I always was gonna be a language guy, it was in me. And I fought hard um, to dominate 
English, which is kind of important, but also to keep my Spanish, you know what I mean, as much as I can. So, and then even learn a few things like in Nahuatl and a few other words, just to learn those languages. Languages was my thing, and I and I expressed it in all kinds of ways. So poetry to me was really my struggle for my own language and my own way of saying what I have to say and to make sure that I could be heard. Um, really, how you said everybody's like an artist and a writer. Uh, for me, I do have my own journal uh, here and I write everything. I don't really go like present or it's like talk about what I write in here. It's just mostly like a revelation just to self-reflect and talk, speak my feelings out of everything that's happened throughout my life. But uh, for someone else out there that's just like has this and wants to, you know, go out there, uh, I definitely think what um, you suggested and just like, you know, letting the, the fear go and just taking a leap of faith uh, will be great, will be amazing. So thank you for like telling us about that and like the history behind TCP means a lot. Yeah, I love that you say leap of faith because to me, um, the society tries to constrain us. And I know, and a lot of it is racism, a lot of it is, is, is uh, the gender limitations, a lot of it is all kinds of ways to restrain people. Uh, but we as human beings though, is about real freedom. And society, I mean, when we were indigenous people, we are indigenous people, but we lived here on this land. The land, we didn't own the land. We weren't disconnected to the land. We were the land. You understand what I'm saying? And this society has completely estranged us from the land and then ourselves, our own spirit, who we are. And we get constantly detached and detached constantly. And now we are struggling just to get back to voice, get back to that freedom. And it's a struggle. A lot of people don't make it. Like I said, there's a lot of people in our community that like my mom could sing, could dance, could do all kinds of things and they can't, they won't, they're working. You know what I'm saying? The, the, the practical things I'll tell you another story about my mom. I love my mom. So I'm not trying to put it down. She grew up in a world in which it was really hard. Like my mom hated that I wanted to be an artist and a writer. She thought it was a waste of time. Uh, and um, she used to jump me on it. and. And when I was on drugs and in the street, I was terrible. But when I told her, I was like mid-25, I told her I'm quitting all my work. I was working in the industry, I was working in a steel mill, I worked in a lead foundry. I, I did all this work. I told her I'm quitting everything to become a writer. But she completely, oh, just that's pretty deal. That's it. I'm gone. Uh, it was worse. It was worse than when I was in the street. And one thing I went um, to pick up a grocery bag of early writings when I did, when I was a teenager, she had burned all those writings. And then I had all these plywood of all my art. I was painting murals at the time when I was a teenager. She had destroyed all the, the, the artwork. I say that, sad, it's terrible, but I don't really blame my mom. You know, I think my mom was just, she was one of these people that got beaten down by the world and you had to have a job and you had to have something to survive. She was doing what other people expected Mexican, especially in this country, to do work, don't complain, don't explain, you know, that kind of thing. And and so I understood. I, I, I were given my mom. I don't think that about my mom. And then I realized that with creativity, you can always do them again. You know, my early writings, maybe uh, most of it was probably no good anyway. <laughs> but but the idea being that I could really keep writing. You know, it's never the end of the world. I remember I met a muralist who had a big mural in East LA and somebody painted it over. And they said that he would be mad, but he said, no, just do it again. <laughs> you know, so creativity is always something you can keep doing. But I mentioned that because again, a lot of our cultures, it's sad. They don't really protect or honor the art, the po poet, the artist, the dancer, the theater person inside each one of us. And I, I really appreciate parents when they do. I know parents push their kids, be that person. I've seen that. So that to me is important. That's why Theater Teachers was created create a space for that. And speaking of like Dia Chuchas, um, like, and just TCP in general, um, like where do you see, you know, Dia Chuchas Press going and like, what do you, what's next? What's next? You know, again, I have a hard time, somewhere in, in there, there's a dream I have, <laughs> I have to find it. I have a hard time to be um, conscious about it. I think the momentum is like when you start, um, the, the marble down the hill, that's where I'm at. 
and it's going to pick up momentum. Days are going to pick up things. What you got to be open for is the surprising aspects of life. These be prepared to be surprised because if we think we're going to plan everything, it's probably going to tell you what we plan. I think it's great that it didn't even work out the way I planned. It was better than the way I planned. You know what I mean? I didn't even plan. I couldn't plan good enough. But I think be open to the surprises. So to me, Dia Chucha Centro Cultural and Dia Chucha Press, there's probably some surprises there for us. Uh, I'm just going to keep pushing it until we hit a point where we need to do something surprisingly better, bigger, whatever we need to do. Uh, I would like everything to grow because I think growth is part of life. And um, Tia Chucha Press, as well as the centers, should grow in whatever way it can. But I also want to be surprised. Life in, has mysteries, and they're important mysteries. We don't have to resolve them all, but we have to be open to the mysteries of the world and, and accept that they're there. And there's a mystery about where we're going in a certain sense. But my attitude is keep moving, keep moving, keep, keep dreaming, keep hoping, keep doing what we do. And surprisingly, things will happen. Yeah, thank you, Luis. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, change is going to happen. Change happens constantly. So I, I like that you, you kind of said, you know, we can plan, but we can't plan for everything, right? <laughs> so awesome. Thank you. Um, I, I wanted to see if today you'd be open to reading a poem to us or maybe um, one of your earlier poems from uh, Poems Across the Pavement since. Yeah, um, great. Yeah. Reading from, and I'll read you the first poem in this book uh, that I wrote, um, Running to America, and it's for my parents who ran to America, I mean the United States from Mexico, uh, for a lot of reasons, you know, not that they didn't love Mexico. Mexico. My, my mom and dad spoke Spanish to the bitter end. They always had Mexican music. They never became Americanized, except they lived here. And the reason they lived here is because they couldn't live in Ciudad Juarez, you know, where we, we were living. They couldn't live there no more. The poverty, but also the corruption. And my dad was being targeted politically. Um, he was actually jailed for his politics. And um, he was getting pissed off. And he said, I'm coming to the United States. Um, not realizing the United States has another layers, other layers of, of of um, oppression that we had to go through. My dad couldn't see because he was kind of blinded, I have to be safe. He loved the American dream, even though everything I saw was a nightmare for us, you know, where he was trying to take us to that dream. But uh, I will say that I honor them trying to run to a, what they considered a better place. I honor that, I honor that. I, I find that um, the nation state is imprisoned us, you know what I'm saying? Nation states were created under certain conditions for home markets, for for rich and powerful for corporations, for people, and they create them. All these nation states around the world, borders cut through tribal groupings. You know, they just they some of them even the stuff with Russia and Ukraine. They're fighting over made up things. Borders are totally made up. Nations are made up. I get that people have certain cultures, commonalities, the language, and everything, but these are created up, created stuff, and people are dying for them. So. We were actually, from my my last book, coming from our land to our land, because we were Radamori, we were Tarumaras in the Chihuahua Desert, which covers part of Texas, New Mexico, and a whole mess of Mexico. The Chihuahua Desert is our home. That's where my ancestors come from. So we were going from our land to our land, but there was a border. So they weren't really running other than to an ideal. They weren't really running away from, this is our land. You know what I'm saying. So I'm going to read the poem. And it's from my parents, uh, Alfonso Maria Estela Migrants. They are night shadows violating borders. Fingers curled through changing fences, hiding from infrared eyes, dodging 30 30 bullets. They leave familiar smells, warmth, and sounds as ancient as the trampled stones running to America. There is a woman in her finest border crossing wear, a purple blouse from an older sister, a pair of worn shoes from a church bazaar, a tattered coat from a former lover. There's a child dressed in black, fear sparkling from dark Indian eyes, clinging to a beheaded Barbie doll. And the men, some hard and quiet, others young and loud. You see something like this in prison. Soon they were crossed on their bellies, kissing black earth. 
and then run to America. Strange voices whisper behind garbage cans, beneath freeway passes, next to broken bottles. The spatter words textured and multicolored invoke demons. They must run to America. Their skin color vertes a brand for all the great ranches, for the killing floors on Soul Street, and a slaughter for the garment roll. Still they come, a hungry people have no country. Their tears are the grease of the bobby machines that rip into cloth that make clothes that keep you warm. They have endured the sun stranglehold at Cortito, foundry heats and dark caves of mines hungry for men. Still they come, wandering bravely to the thickness of the strange land's maddening ambivalence. Their cries are sins with fires of hope. Their babies are born with a lion in their hearts. Who can confine them? Who can tell them which lines never to cross? For the green rivers, for their looted gold, escaping the blood of a land that threatens to drown them, they have come running to America. Thank you. Thank you. That was beautiful. Um, personally, uh, hearing poetry out loud for me, uh, I don't know, it brings on like different feelings than when I read it myself. So I, I appreciate it. It's an art in itself. Yeah. You know, yeah. One is the page, the other one is the stage. And they're both arts. And good poets are good at both of them, you know, I think. But you got to master both of them because they both have different dynamics, you know. Do you have any advice you would give to, I know you already mentioned about, you know, kind of working towards fearlessness in a way. But besides that, do you have any advice for, uh, poets or maybe folks that don't necessarily see themselves as poets yet? <laughs> yeah, I would say um, practice, their practices, all art is practice. In other words, I see them as spiritual practices, actually. They're not religion or nothing, but they are spiritual. And, and when you practice any art, you have to get to that spiritual end of it. I'm probably more spiritually engaged when I'm doing my writing than almost anything else. And I go to ceremonies. I do a lot of beautiful ceremonies. I do a lot of things. But when I'm writing, for me personally, I'm in that another world. I'm in that other world. I'm touching the ancestors. You know, I, I feel that that's what's important, that people should just um, practice it all the time, do it all the time. You would love something, do it all the time. You get good at it just by doing that. And of course, you should get skills. You should read books all the time. You should learn grammar, all the things that you need to, just like learning music. I know people who do great music and never learned notation, never learned, and they're doing great. But if you really want to be a musician, it'd be good to know that stuff. You know what I'm saying? I know artists who never went to school for art, they're doing amazing. But if you want to get into art, it'd be good to know all the aspects of art, you know, perspective and colors and all these things that I'm, I'm not even know about. But anyway, at the point being, though, the more you know, the better you're going to be. But don't ever stop practicing it, whatever happens. Um, like I said, don't keep going to workshop after workshop and never writing. Get into the writing. The more you do it, the more the flower blossoms. And then you'll see more petals. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and you got to try. Okay, that's the word that I was trying to get to. Brian, you were, you're talking about faith, but really what I think it's a trust that most of us don't have. And you got to have it. You got to trust the spirit world. You got to trust. You got to trust the answers. You got to trust yourself. You got to trust I can do this. Even if you fall on your face, every stumble is a way to get up and keep going. Every stumble is part of the walk. And so I tell people, trust. Trust that you'll do it. You'll keep doing it. It'll be, it'll be good. You'll be surprised when somebody says, wow, this is amazing. Um, but don't be surprised because you probably were ready for that anyway. So I would say all writers just keep doing it. Keep submitting. I submitted all my work to all kinds of people. They all rejected me. Again, the fearlessness, I don't know where it comes from. I never gave it up. I had disappointing times. I had times when I wanted to give up, honestly. I had times where like, I'm done with this. But I, for some reason, I kept getting up and going back at it. And uh, all the rejections, I wish I could paper wall my wall with all the rejections so I can remember. Uh, it's part of the writing life and it's okay. And the ones that did accept my work kept building, momentum was building. I had magazines start publishing, all these things. And eventually before you know it, and now I have a book. I would say that in the acknowledgement page, can't see it here. There's a lot of people that published my work in this book before the book I'd done. So I had already 
gain an audience, a small audience, but I was gaining an audience based on my work. So I think that's what's important. Don't give up. Keep doing it. Don't worry about rejection. Keep getting better at it, no matter what. Thank you. And what would you suggest to people who, who do want to keep going, uh, but are just kind of stuck in that crossroad, uh, having writers, but don't really know what, how to progress from there? What would be some advice or suggestions that you would give them? Well, I would start with something very simple. Make a move, any move. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, I learned that from, uh, um, uh, I used to study with the Chicago Poetry Center, which is run by a good old friend, a woman from England named Man Schultz, who I want to mention because uh, she was very instrumental, one of the people that helped me stay on track with this, and she would say that. Just write anything. Don't worry where it's going or what you want to do. If you can't think about it, just write them. She would say, just look outside the window and write what you see, you know, or remember, um, think of a memory. I don't know where I'm going with the memory. It doesn't matter. Writing itself starts in, um, engendering other writing. And eventually you actually might come to a story and you might come to some great language. Uh, a lot of my poems get written that way. I don't really have a, a plan for my poem, like I said earlier, but somehow the plan is in there. I just didn't know it. And I start tapping into that and then the poem starts coming out. The poems, the way they get shaped is interesting to me because I think it has spirit in it. They're shaped in a certain way I think somehow they were already shaped in my head, you know what I'm saying, or in my heart, or wherever my soul is, that they eventually just found expression in the real world. Cause I'm surprised how some of my poems get shaped. How do they work out? I can't say that it's all consciousness, you know what I'm saying. So I think just make a move anymore. <laughs> I tell this with, I work with these young kids sometimes, young people who are stuck in anything, life, they don't know what to do. And so I tell them the same thing, make a move any move. Even if it's a wrong move, it leads to a move. The worst thing is to sit there and stay stuck. You know what I mean? That's probably the worst feeling. And I know it's hard for people. It's not an easy thing. But I would say just make a move, see what happens. Make another move, see what happens. Um, thank you for sharing that, Luis. Um, this conversation so far has like brought up a lot of feelings for me. Um, I feel like I've been processing what's been said and kind of like trying to wrap my head around why some of the things that you've said have kind of uh triggered me in a way not not that like you have said anything wrong just like thinking about like those differences and like how um how people are encouraged especially around like gender like it was very strange for me to hear you you know a masculine person um describe like how like people who are raised as women tend to like um need to be hyper aware of like what others think of them oftentimes for safety right so I think it can be really challenging to like just disconnect from that like oh you know I don't care what other people think I'm just gonna do me um because I know like that that sounds like such a a beautiful way to live but like I can't even imagine living that way you know so it, it was kind of hard to to hear that um and like but I do appreciate what you're going into in terms of like um just making a move because I I 100% agree I think that like there's nothing more frustrating than to like flip a coin and for the coin to not land <laughs> you know what I mean so like I I think that is super important like you can't be afraid like I feel like I I am someone who who limits myself based off of whether I think what I'm going to do is going to be good enough or not you know and and I I love hearing what you're talking about in terms of like not having that fear and like, and just doing it for the sake of doing it. Yeah, you know, I have, um, as you know, four kids and three of my boys. Now, people know Ramiro's story, I've written about it. You know, he was a very troubled young man. He was the kind of guy that when I was a kid would do the same thing, overturn the tables. You knew he was in trouble. In school, he was the loudest kid. He was a kid that never listened to nobody. You know, he was fighting all the time. And you can see that that kid's in trouble. 
but you may not see that young girl in the classroom who doesn't make the noise, doesn't overturn tables, but is dying inside. You know what I'm saying? You may not. So I saw it with my daughter. She never got in trouble like him, but in many ways she was in worse shape than him, you know, because she hid like a lot of young women, a lot of people, uh, queer people, people that don't get, don't want to be seen, don't want to be understood. Uh, they get pushed to the point where they're, they're dying inside, you know, and they can't, they don't know where to go. And then you find out that someday they want to commit suicide or they did it. And you, what happened? This person never said a peep, you know, you don't know the trouble they're in. And I've learned that you got to be able to address the trouble as it exists, not the way you think it is. So yeah, my son was out there and, but how many people don't say anything and then they're gone? Um, you don't know what happened. So I think that that's important to give people the idea that, you know, everybody has value, not, not, not the value that society says you have. That's intrinsic to you. Everybody, everybody's born to be what they need to be. And um, again, my teacher was the example. Everybody put her down. She could have been completely quiet, like all the women in Mexico that were told, you know, they can't, they shouldn't do that. They should do just do this. My mom fell into those traps that I think she suffered for. But my idea was, I'm going to do it. And, and it taught me, I think, to do it for myself because I was one of those quiet, diminished kids too. And uh, even though I am male, I, I know that I had a lot of sensitivities that have a lot of feminine in it. Like a lot of men do that, they hide, they hide, they hide it. They try to keep it away, you know. But men, many men have these things, and I, I had to squash them growing up in the barrio, because to be a man, you can't have those sensitivities. So I mutated myself as a male. I had to be the tough guy, and you guys all know me. I'm not really that. I don't go around being a tough guy, you know. But I had when I was young, I, I took on everybody. I had to be a tough guy, and and that's sad, but. It mutates the men and the women and mutates everybody in between because we're not seeing what's really there. You know what I'm saying? This is why I go back to being indigenous. We aren't part of the land. We're not owners of the land. We're not just connected to the land. We are the land. Well, this is the way it is. We are the community, all of us. We are part of it. And we got to help others to get through all this stuff because like you're pointing out, Rocket, it's a voice in our head that constantly says, you're no good, you're no good, you're no good. And you keep hearing that voice. We got to change that voice. That's hard. I'm not saying any of this is easy, but change that voice that says, I am what I need to be, and I will be what I have to be. And the life I was meant to live is the life I will live. That to me is the message that I think art and Tiachutas and everybody's trying to say that we get full in ourselves, however we are. And that I think is important for our parents, for our community, which still has all these constraints. You know, everybody's still pushing things. But I think Dear Tutis is alive with fullness. You know what I'm saying? I see all the young people, they're all of you. I see you all working hard to make the creativity in your own life meaningful and powerful and connected. And I don't mean powerful like you're going to run things, like run over people, powerful, and that you can run things for what you believe is important. And that's what I, 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 I want to convey. It is hard, and I understand. But I've seen it in my own family. Again, my, my, my daughter, she's, she's up there. She's 45 years old. She suffered a lot, never got in jail, never took drugs. But in many ways, she suffered even more. And she's still suffering through it. And I love her dearly. And she's hanging in there. She's doing the best she can. But it's really hard. And so I just want to put that out there. You know, um, that's what Thea Chutes is. That spirit that my Thea had, I want to convey it and bring it back to the whole community so that everybody can have that. That's beautiful. <laughs> oh, thank you for, for getting in that. I mean, well, why do we do this unless we get into something deep? You know what I'm saying? So these are all beautiful books and they all deserve praise, but we're doing this so that we can do what we just said, break through the silences that have enslaved us all these years. Yeah, thank you, Luis. Thank you, Rocket. Um, wow. <laughs> I'm a little bit speechless. I'm still processing everything, but yeah, I, I agree. And I feel like I, I, I see that in the different classes that we have, um, you know, from creative writing and poetry and, uh, you know, the different activities that young warriors do. I feel like that, that spirit that you're talking about is like very much alive. And I think our, 
our youth that participate and adults that participate. I feel like they feel it too. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. You know, it's like we need community centers and places, spaces like this in every community. I'm not saying Dia Chuchas in particular, but spaces that do that, where you can come in there and let go that world that has put all these, you know, barriers and just be that person and work toward be that person and, move, and know that people will be open to you. You know what I'm saying? Even if you're a little eccentric. It's okay. It's okay. Uh, I think that's what we wanted to create a place that can respect and trust. Confianza, respecto, you know, that's both of them are important that we can respect people for who they are, how they are, but also trust that whatever they do, it'll come out to be the most beautiful, amazing things that can, that can possibly be. Yeah. And I have to honor Trini because Trini, who kind of who ran everything mostly, Kind of carried that through herself in the way she engendered that leadership and taught and mentored in her own way because she doesn't say she mentored people but people got mentored by her she just did it organically and um and she was able to create a space that enveloped that kind of vision that way of thinking which i think is very deeply indigenous and very authentic to who we are Thank you, Luis. Thank you, everybody. Um, we're, I guess, wrapping up. So oh, if anybody has any... Another hour or two. No, this is yeah. great. <laughs> yeah. Well, we can definitely do another another podcast. There's a, a lot to talk about. Um, yeah, maybe next time we can invite some of our TCP poets on as well. Um, <laughs> but if anybody has any closing... Poetry month. Yeah. And love poetry. My poetry should be done every day, but yeah, honor honor poetry and all of us. Awesome. I think we should all close with our biggest takeaway mm, from good. our discussion. And I think Karen should start. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I, always give that to Karen. I can I can start. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, I'm still very much thinking about that fearlessness because I think. Um, for me personally, especially with some art and, and poetry, I definitely get, I, I, I guess I would always think of myself as shy <laughs> about it, but I guess if I really think about it, it's more of a fear. So I definitely uh, like that. That resonated with me and you know I, I definitely want to think about that more and hone in that fearlessness and you know who knows, maybe I'll share something soon. <laughs> Yeah. yeah and I you know I could go next uh for me my biggest takeaway uh was just it pretty much was everything I, I agreed with everything that you said Luis it was very you know um very inspiring and you know just me personally uh was always taught by my mom it was always my mom and me so uh me and my mom had always been like al toro por los cuernos you know just keep going and I definitely agree that just putting out like anything out even if you're stuck just advancing forward is the most important step uh into getting out there and everybody has a story to tell and it definitely should be told so yeah that was my takeaway from it so I just appreciate you know everybody has their story so thank you Rocket for sharing thank you Luis for sharing you too Karen thank you all for sharing Yeah, um, I think my biggest takeaway from this is honestly more questions, <laughs> more questions for myself. Like, um, I think it was a little bit, it, it, it was a little bit challenging to hear um, some of the things that were expressed regarding like, um, you know, fighting that, fighting that voice inside you that, that tells you you're terrible, you know, um especially because i i've been i've been fortunate enough to be involved in different arts programming my whole life and um i i got very very used to all of my should be teachers should be mentors should be directors right um putting me down constantly so it's really hard to break out of that and not look at my art 
through a hypercritical lens. Um, so I, and that's something I always receive from my talks with you, Luis, is like remembering that art is a innate part of us as human beings and not something that we have to like earn the right to do in some type of way. Like I, I, I remember um, I had a, um, I had a, a relative who, who said they were never, they had a piano in the house, but no one was allowed to play it unless they knew how to play piano. And, <laughs> and I feel like that's a really good analogy for how I feel about myself. Um, like <laughs> I have, I have a, I have the art inside, but I'm not allowed to exercise it unless I'm going to be, <laughs> unless I know how to do the art. Right. And um, it's just such a skewed way to look at things. So I just appreciate the reminder that um, that the right that the ability to express ourselves creatively um, is not something that we have to be good enough for. It's something that that we all have inside of us and can do any time. Oh, Mateo. Oh, beautiful. So thank you all. I, I, the only takeaway I have is that Dia Chuchas has done something amazing. Like I said, even beyond what we would have dreamed, which is good. Because I get, like I said, the dream was there somewhere. It's gone bigger and better. And all of you are reflective of all the amazing things that we try to say and try to do. And you actually express it. Be that artist, be that human being, be that full, complete person. You all examples of this, <laughs> you know, knowing you all. And, uh, and to keep doing it and to help others do that. So that to me is what me and Trini try to create and what I think my Thea Chucha embodied and that we want to carry forward. So thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much. And until next time. <laughs> thank you all. Take care. Be safe. Thank Home you. Thank you again for joining us. Please remember to subscribe to our podcast and follow Tia Chuchas on social media. Please support our online bookstore. You can find the links in our podcast bio. Stay safe, stay creative. Tiawi. <laughs>